the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Tuesday, July 25th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. I've got Bill to my north. I've got David to my west. And uh, I've got you uh, all places, all four corners. You can call in at 602-508-0960. Well, like clockwork, paying attention to nothing and realizing there is a wedge to lambast conservative Florida while exploiting racial issues. The Washington Post has an editorial today, quote, Florida curriculum on slavery is an obscene revision of black history, close quote. Yes, it's so obscene it ignores the chief author, William B. Allen, who has testified and been interviewed on his great-great-grandfather's experience as a slave. William Allen, who helped write the standards in Florida, for those who may not know him, was probably one of the first and best scholars on George Washington's political philosophy and created the intellectual industry such it is such it such as it is dedicated to the serious study of George Washington. I know this not only from his books but also from his chairmanship of the Civil Rights Commission under Ronald Reagan and he's his being my professor in Claremont. He also a former student of Harry Jaffa's, and he'll be with us in the second hour today. My point in raising all this is not to condemn the lame and fallen state of academia today, but rather the lame and fallen state of journalism. Where are the journalists calling out Kamala Harris for saying Florida wants to replace history with lies, for saying middle school students in Florida are to be told that enslaved people benefited from slavery? Those two sentences are the lie, as we reviewed in my monologue yesterday, and they are vicious and exploitive lies, peeling back the healing crusts of racial antagonism that has wounded this country for far too long, opening wounds that were on their way toward healing and health, only to continue to cause bleeding when most people want coagulation. Oh, and far from calling out Harris for her lies, every major news outlet also is running with the Kamala Harris narrative about Florida's standards as well. But then where are the journalists calling out the likes of Joe Biden and Karen Jean-Pierre, who have on a dime changed their narrative about Joe Biden's relationship to Hunter Biden and his business dealings? Until this summer, the line spread far and wide each time a question was asked was from Joe Biden in the first person, quote, I have never discussed with my son anything having to do with his business, period, close quote. Sometimes Joe Biden would include his brother in those statements. Often he would include statements that he loved his son and was proud of him, but it was always that he never discussed his son's business dealings. Another famous version of this was to Peter Ducey when he said, quote, I have never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings, close quote. Hard enough as that was to accept, the narrative, as I say, changed yesterday. Karen Jean-Pierre was asked at a press conference, quote, curious if the White House and the president still stand behind his comment that he's never been involved and has never even spoken to his son about his business, close quote. What the question? Jean-Pierre engaged in what is known as reframing the question. 
That's the legerdemain where you change and state the question differently so as to allow for the answer you want to give rather than the answer the original question demanded. In her sleight of hand, she said this, quote, So, I've been asked this question a million times. The answer is not going to change. The answer remains the same. The president was never in business with his son. I just don't have anything else to add, close quote. One might ask why she's been asked this question a million times, mightn't one? But the president was never in business with his son is not the same as the president never discussing business with his son. But moreover, never in business with his son can have so many technical meanings and shadings of meanings, as in on an official incorporation document or with a shared business account or any number of things that would allow for, shall we say, her plausible or his plausible deniability. This all reeks of Nixon and is indeed Nixonian. Everything from the odd technicality of the phraseology to the reframing of the question. Will anybody in the media act like, say, the media from the Nixon era? The era that gave birth to modern political investigative journalism? Side note, a reminder, folks, this is not about Hunter Biden. It is about the president. It is important we keep our eye on that ball. Just as during Watergate, it was not about, shall we say, Donald Nixon or B.B. Rebozo. It's easy to go after Hunter Biden. It's also a diminishing return. The scandal is about the president, which makes one want to ask about journalism generally and any number of issues Joe Biden is not making himself available for. Is everyone still just fine and dandy with cocaine, responsible for tens of thousands of deaths a year, being found near the Situation Room with zero suspects whatsoever at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? Is this the new journalism standard? Here it is. If a Republican is in office, unremitting investigation and reporting. If a Democrat is in office, unremitting investigation and reporting on Republicans with misportrayals of fact for political purposes and causes, as we see in the reporting on the Florida history standards. Noam Chomsky would have called this manufacturing consent. In fact, he once did. But of course, not when a Democrat was in the White House. I was saying yesterday, as in education, there are two different views of journalism in America today. One view is that it is to be aggressive in uncovering scandals and duplicity and reporting facts and stories of major interest. The other is that it is meant to propagandize toward a specific ideological or political outcome. I'm not positive as to what the best or highest rated journalism school in America is. I'd have thought maybe the Columbia School of Journalism or the University of Missouri, but a lot of websites point to the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern. I went to their website to see how they define what they are endowed to teach, and it's interesting. It's not what you get from the journalist's creed that came out of the Missouri School about a century ago, posted at the National Press Club. It's not, as the creed says, among other things, quote, I believe that the public journal is a public trust, that all connected with it are, to the full measure of their responsibilities, trustees for the public. That acceptance of a lesser service than the public service is a betrayal of that trust. I believe that clear thinking and clear statement, accuracy, and fairness are fundamental to good journalism, close quote. That's the journalist's creed, clear thinking, accuracy, and fairness, all fundamental. 
So I looked at the website of the Medill School, and I didn't have to go far. It's very front page states, quote, We are training a new generation of multimedia journalists and integrated marketing communications professionals who are finding new ways to understand audiences and not only thriving in this exciting new landscape, but also helping to shape it, close quote. There it is, to shape it. To shape something is to change, bend, and convert it. CNN's former president said much the same thing about two months ago about the role of CNN as being to, quote, help shape the news, close quote. Reminds me of what Karl Marx said was his concept of history and philosophy when he wrote, the philosophers have only interpreted the world in various ways, and the point is to change it. The point is to change it for the cause. Not inform, not accuracy, not fairness, change, bend, persuade, and convert. Now I understand what I learned from the ASU Cronkite School, which is that there are zero courses in opinion or editorial journalism. I assumed slam dunk, of course, they would have those courses. Every paper, all of radio, and mostly television has opinion columns, editorials, and editorials and guest opinion and guest writers. You would think a school of journalism would teach about that. Now I see why they don't. All journalism is evidently sans distinction among opinion and editorial and news. The Society of Professional Journalists ought to just vote to take down the journalists creed at the National Press Club. It clearly does not mean anything anymore. It's certainly not a statement of belief, as the definition of a creed is known. And while at it, maybe they ought to revise their first principle, too. You want to know what it is? Quote, to seek truth and report it. Ethical journalism should be accurate and fair, close quote. If ethical means anything, if accurate means anything anymore, all these rules need to be amended or emended. Or perhaps we need a new dictionary and definition of journalism, because guess what, folks? We don't have it anymore. We have, what we have is something much closer to what Tape taught Wormwood. Do remember, you are there to fuddle. It's a good word, fuddle. Keep it in mind next time you see someone claiming to be practicing journalism. We believe in self-government still, don't we? Maybe we need to start thinking about self-journalism too. Just a thought. We believe in self-government as James Madison tells us in the 39th Federalist Paper because it is the only way to preserve, quote, the genius of the people of America with the fundamental principles of the revolution or with the honorable determination which animates every votary of freedom, close quote. Why then should we surrender the autonomy of trusting those who supposedly govern the governors, i.e. the press, any more than we should fully trust the government, who the press supposedly oversees on our behalf, on our behalf? That's what the government and press have in common. They both work on our behalf, and we don't surrender fundamental freedoms to the government, so why should we surrender them to their overseers? If we still believe in the genius of the American people and the fundamental principles of the revolution and the votaries of freedom, don't give more credence to so-called journalists than you do to the government. They don't deserve it and are no better. Indeed, they are worse, for they are not accountable to votes or remedies like impeachment when they engage in high crimes and misdemeanors. In fact, in giving credence at all, keep in mind that journalists gave up their own creed long ago. They just didn't report it. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 602-508-0960. Mike is in Carefree. Hello, Mike. Hi, Seth. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Of course. How are you, sir? Good. I was thinking back on and when uh, it seems that journalism, I'm, I'm fairly old. I'm, I, I'm 70, so I, I can remember when uh, it was uh, William Randolph Hearst and <laughs> Sam Whitehouse. Whitehouse yeah. Or they, yeah, yeah. They, back they, in the days they, of they yellow journalism, yeah. Right. They And they basically started co-opting all of them and, and buying up all of the smaller independent newspapers and, and getting rid of anything else. And I did a fellowship at Chicago, in the University of Chicago, back in the early 70s. And in that, you still had a heyday of all of the Northwestern School of Journalism. You could find a journalist to argue any point right. cogently, and it was nice. But what they've done is they've taken the left definition of revolutionary, which is the Stalinist revolutionary, which is basically to do nothing but destroy. Mm-hmm. Instead of the American devil, revolution, which was to improve, mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't want to have a set of rules to make it better. For example, a constitution. They just want to destroy and take power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the difference between journalism now. They 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 don't want to play by the rules. They don't want to make something better. They just want to destroy it. There is a. Um there is a biography. I'm trying to think. Oh, yes, he's a professor at Paul Kangor. He's a professor at Grove City. There's a new biography of Karl Marx uh, by uh, by Professor Kangor, who points out that it was uh, Karl Marx's most famous. Uh, excuse me, not most famous. Most beloved quote was uh, uh, was from Faustus uh, that everything good must be destroyed. And, of course, you get that from Karl Marx's notion in his quote about history that I was speaking of earlier in my monologue. You get this from what you saw during the 2020 riots, Um, not only destruction for destruction's sake, but destruction of historical monuments and and destruction— of uh, of 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 innocent you know of innocent storefronts, yes, that is right. I like what you said and how you compared and contrast that, Mike. Our revolution was to build up and improve; theirs is to destroy. I don't know if it's appropriate anymore. If we're allowed to anymore, I don't know if we can quote from Gone with the Wind anymore. But I'm reminded of a line from Rhett Butler, and there he says, "What most people forget or tend to forget is that it's just as easy to make money building up society as it is tearing it down." And boy, those journalists yeah, make an aw- those papers make an awful lot of money, don't they? Yeah, blood money is made when blood runs. In the yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You know, it predates Marx. It goes back to the Catechism of the Revolutionary, and, and, and that's 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 where people talk about the European Enlightenment. It really wasn't an Enlightenment. It was not the same. It, I mean, aspects of it were were addressed in, in America, but. The European Enlightenment was really a, more of a destruction, and they went right back to having the same people in power, mm. basically people with different names. Mm-hmm. They still went to a, a, a monarchy-type system. This is why you could say of the French Revolution that uh, every revolution eats its own children, right? Right. Now, yeah. If not based on natural rights, which is what ours were based on. Um, which is not what Marx was, and which is not what the French Revolution was. Yeah, no, I, uh, Mike, it's it's a very well put point. Uh, you, you and I could probably teach a class on it. Maybe we should 
We should we should collude off air on doing something like that. <laughs> you bet. You bet. <laughs> Thank you. Thank I, I'd like, you. I love Carefree. I'd like to do it up there. I don't think Cronkite would have me anyway. I, I tried to get a teaching job there once. They they wouldn't. Yeah, have you me. can do it from my house. All right, we'll do it. We'll do it on Zoom. We'll have a bigger classroom right. than they have at Cronkite anyway. Bless you, sir. Uh, stay safe. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Hi, Seth. Uh, yeah, regarding journalism, it's. Uh, uh, it, it was originally designed, I believe, to uh, inform Americans of what's really happening. And, of course, we've talked millions of times about now they're just providing cover for the Democrats. And so they're not doing journalism. They're just doing, uh, well, they're providing cover. And so uh, I, I just find it ridiculous. And I don't believe most of what comes out of anybody who claims to be a journalist. It's sort of like, you know, you mentioned the uh, uh, public school teachers getting a master's in education. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, right. it's continued indoctrination. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's not in favor of making America a better place. The other thing I was thinking of was, you know, you mentioned Kabbalah's uh, diatribe against the uh, uh, racist uh, issues going on in Florida. And I thought to myself, what a golden opportunity for a presidential candidate, maybe from Florida, uh, to uh, raise that and uh, you know declare that this is untrue and provide specifics. But I haven't, unless you have, seen anything. A couple days ago, he made a there. statement. It was pretty, I have to tell you, uh, pretty pretty wanting, pretty lacking. It was a good opportunity and would be a good opportunity if his campaign had the structure a campaign like his should have to give a big speech yeah. on it. This should be what we used to call a teachable moment, and he should exactly. seize it and give a hell of a big speech on it. He really should have. And, and, well, and, I agree. And it may not be too late, but instead they're now working on their fifth day of talking about the campaign resetting itself and laying off another third of its employees. So. Well, that's, you know, that's, and, and that, that's a strange priority because I look at that as a golden opportunity to, uh, you know, lambast the current administration. Of course it is. Of the, course it for is. For the 2024 election. Of course election. it is. Of course You know, is. where you can actually, you know, you've got the videos, you've got the quotes, you've got the lies, and yet it's not being taken advantage of. And actually, if I worked know, for that campaign, I'd have given him the best darn speech on fighting back on this very issue. It would have been a great one. I mean, someone someone really should have done that for him. Someone really should have done oh, that. Oh, yeah. Someone really should well, have. Well, great minds think alike, Seth, because I agree, and I would have done the same thing. Yeah. You're either on offense or defense, well, and they're just on defense. Yep. Yep. We need to take the offense, and yep. uh, we're not doing it yet. Anyway, not yet. thank you, sir. Not I appreciate yet. the time. You betcha, Rob. Thank you. Um Remind me to talk about Gelman amnesia in this context. Bill knows what I'm talking about. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. John Dombrowski is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. It's a fun, bright website. I think it even has pictures of dogs, if I'm not mistaken, from last it time does. I looked at it. He's also the host of his own radio show, heard here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. Happy Tuesday, John. Hello, Seth. How are you? How are you doing? Still got great. those doggies on your website? 
Got the doggies on the website, you bet. Yeah, lovely. We got to add the, I think we, we're still missing one. We got an, we inherited one recently. Well, why don't I send you a picture of Dagny for the website? Yeah, well, you've got to do that. I, would you put it up if I did? Uh, I'll do you'll come see. You'll take it yes. to your top advisors. I'll do it. I'll well, do it. All right. I'll do it too. Dow okay. closes higher for 12th straight day. Registers longest yeah. rally since Feb 2017. You know, in the Dow's history, 120 plus years, whatever it's been, I think this has only happened three or four times. So it, it's a big deal. Uh, even though it wasn't up much today, it was only up what 28 points, something like that today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Being up twelve straight days is a big deal, yeah. and it's you know I, I would imagine I think the futures right now are showing uh, the markets are a little bit negative. Dow's mm-hmm. down forty six points after trading. So um, we had a couple of big uh, tech earnings uh, reported today: Microsoft and Google or uh, Alphabet. Yep. Uh, and so we're going to probably this might be uh, the end of the streak. Okay. As we as we see maybe tomorrow stocks may open a little bit lower. Okay. But anything can change. Yeah. You know, we'll see how the how the rest of the day goes because we've got the Fed reporting tomorrow as well, Seth. You know, the the long awaited right. Fed decision. Are they gonna raise rates? If so, how much? What are they gonna say moving forward? Are they gonna be a little dovish or are they gonna be uh, you know, drop the hammer on us? <laughs> Does a rally like this, John, uh the, stave off concerns of recession a little bit when you have a rally like this? You know, it bucks the trend, right? Okay. Uh, and yeah. I think more and more uh, people are, you know, joining the, the train that uh, we're not going to have a recession. Yeah. Or we're going to have that soft landing that has been talked about. Uh, anything is possible, but I think if you took a consensus today, uh, that would lean probably in the favor of not having a recession, okay. uh, which is a great thing for the American people. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, we still have inflation, and uh, people are still feeling that inflation every day. Yeah, 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 yeah. The other question I wanted to run by you – yeah, we have a little bit of time. Uh, the interesting uh, story over at the Wall Street Journal, home prices fell year over year. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. I'm always curious about this and what that indicates to you with regard to the overall look, whether it's inflation or supply chain or recession-oriented or unemployment-oriented, or is it really having to do with the expense of money? You know, that's part of it, obviously. We know that mortgage rates are much higher right now. Yeah. It's uh, blocking some people out of being able to purchase a home right now. The, mm-hmm. the numbers just don't uh, coincide with what some of the lenders would like to see from borrowers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting. I, I looked at another report. I, I just briefly glazed over it today uh, where home prices were actually holding. So um, there's some mixed signals on this. Now, there are different areas of the market around the country where some areas might be a little bit hotter than others. Florida is a, is a, obviously a hot market out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but California, maybe some prices have fallen there. Uh, so, but you're right. Definitely the, the money supply has, is a big factor when it comes to real estate, and that's going to drive the market. If interest rates fell, Mm -hmm. uh, you're probably going to get a lot more buyers in the market, but we are still short uh, on homes right now. Resale um, homes are limited right now for those out there looking to buy a home, but the new home market is still booming because people can't find resale homes, so the only option they have is to try to go to a new home. Uh, and builders are being very cautious and careful not to overbuild and have more inventory than they can sell. So it is creating a little bit of a demand. And uh, some of these builders, uh, their stock prices have uh, reflected 
uh, how good it has been for them over this past year. Okay. All right, John. And the big Fed report tomorrow, that's everyone's eyes are on that. That's right? where we're all waiting to see what the Fed's going to say, yes. Yeah. All right. Um, well, all right. Uh, we'll know by the time we talk tomorrow. Yes, we will. And we'll, we'll have, have a some... full analysis of it. Thank we you, will. sir. Yes. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC. Member of FINRA and SIPC and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Bless talk you, tomorrow, Seth. You betcha. Thank you, All sir. Right. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. That was my first 45 that I bought with my own money. Um, that 45. was fun. Huh? That a 45. That would have been kind of phasing out. At yeah, the time. yeah, yeah. That was fun. I was uh, Something about that song, the opening of it. Um, not that part, but the opening. Do you remember what was on the reverse? No, I don't. I don't. We could look it up probably. Yeah. yeah. But I bet it wasn't as good. <laughs> <laughs> the Officer Tatum store, it is a cool place. But it made me think, we need a Seth Leibson store maybe? SLS Seth Leibson What would we have Seth in Leibson there? Seth Leibson store. What would we have Not in there? Raindro- what would be my favorite things? Not raindrops on roses or whiskers on kittens, but uh, maybe sandwiches, trumpets, like, cured like meats. Oh, you <laughs> like sandwiches? <gasps> I love sandwiches. Well, you, you know, know it's we're my... having sandwiches for lunch? It, it's tomorrow. irrelevant to me what you're having for lunch. Oh, 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 I need to clip that. Yeah. <laughs> I need to clip that phrase. <laughs> well, it's irrelevant in that I can't do anything about it. It's like, you know, saying you should go play in a professional basketball or football team. I, it's, it's, I, I can't do it. I, I can't eat lunch. So next time you ask me what I, what I had for lunch on air, I need to have that audio ready to go. It's irrelevant to me what you had for lunch. It's, <laughs> I understand what you're saying. I, I I fantasize about what you have for lunch because I I love the idea you, and you're a great cook but I just can't eat lunch. But what would go in the Seth Leibson store? That would be fun. Maybe the audience can. Uh... I got this email about something I wanted to say uh, from listener Mark on the media. Great discussion this afternoon about accuracy in the media. Mark writes. Years ago, long before I went to flight school, I watched a reporter standing at the site of an airplane accident and said, yes, Tom, apparently this aircraft's engine stalled, causing this horrific crash you see behind me, close quote, which told me they hadn't done a dime's worth of research to accurately report an aerodynamic stall, which used to plague airliners before they were equipped with stall warning systems and anti-stall devices. And for the reporter to say the engine stalled when all airliners have at least two and sometimes more engines tells me how grossly uninformed some reporters are. I doubt that reporter won a Pulitzer for that report. I'm glad you wrote that, Mark, because I had mentioned earlier uh, in a couple segments ago I wanted to talk about Gell-Mann syndrome. Gell-Mann syndrome. If you've ever had an experience like Mark's where you read a story about something you know a lot about, and you'll notice things wrong in it. If you ever have some story written, maybe where you're in it or quoted in it or anything like that, the kind I read in the Capital Times today, and you see how wrong that is and how much they get wrong. Um, the phenomenon of Gelman, the Gelman amnesia phenomenon is, phenomenon is why when you see that so errantly reported, would you believe anything else? In the, in, 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 the, in the reporting or in the paper. Falsus uno, falsus omnibus. False in one, false in all. Michael Crichton came up with this notion 
briefly stated the Gelman amnesia effect as, as follows. You open the newspaper to an article on some subject you know well. In my friend Murray's case, physics. In mine, Crichton writes, show business. You read the article and see the journalist has absolutely no understanding of either the facts or the issues. Often the article is so wrong, it actually presents the story backward, reversing cause and effect. I call these the wet streets cause rain stories. Papers are full of them. In any case, you read with exasperation or amusement the multiple errors in a story, and then you turn the page to national or international affairs and read as if the rest of the newspaper was somehow more accurate about Poland than the baloney you just read. You turn the page and you forget what you know. That's Gelman amnesia. And um, I fear that that often is you – know, fear, no, often we, uh, we suffer from it. If you ever have had that experience of reading one story about a subject you know well and you see how, how messed up it is, how, how wrong they get it, why would you believe them about anything else, which often might be more complicated, particularly when it comes to things like foreign affairs? Um, anyway, it's another aspect. It's another aspect of everything we're talking about here. And some of it is in just broad daylight. I mean, some of it is in um, sharp relief and broad daylight. Some of it you just see how obvious stories are not being reported or how obviously distorted the story is when it is reported. Um, I read a story today, I mean, about something I was intimately familiar with, and I was intimately familiar with because I was there, and it was a long day, and the story was written as just the entire second half of the day didn't exist, just didn't exist. But how would anyone else know that? How would anyone else know that? Which raises the question of how important media distortion is, something I should talk to Hugh Holman about when he comes in a little bit later. He's uh, often the subject in the, of the media and has been as, as the mayor of Tempe, of course. How accurate – well, not how accurate. How, how impactful is the media these days? And, you know, I've often worried about the you know, person going about their business, not particularly political, not like our caller yesterday, Steve, who said he had a day off and was thus watching C-SPAN 3. Not that type of person, not the kind of person that listens to talk radio or reads a newspaper or more or a news site or more a day. Not that person. Most people aren't that person. Most people, as Sam says, aren't weirdos like we are. We're weirdos. We're the weird ones. Most people don't read a lot of news or spend a lot of time digging into a story. They just kind of move through the atmosphere of their lives, and you can't blame them. You know, they have other issues and other concerns. Their job isn't journalism. Their job isn't commentary. Their job isn't analysis. Their job isn't policy wonkery. And how effect, How much of, effect, of an effect does the overall media narrative have on those people? It's an interesting question. Especially when you think about this poll that I want to talk about a little bit later, this poll from 530 uh, – what's that polling group called? It's not – five. is it 538? It's uh, – yeah, 538, which shows that Joe Biden is the uh, most 
unpopular, most disapproved of, his disapproval ratings are the highest of any president at this point in his presidency since Jimmy Carter. And Trump, what about Trump? What about Trump? Trump had a lower disapproval rating than Biden, and the media was awful to Trump, and it's positive to Biden. So it's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? If it's if it's in any way, if my if the thesis that they're working on here is in any way um, accurate, or if any way plausible, I should say, it says something good about the American people, doesn't it? Says something good about the American people, David. Do I have to hit a break? I'm sorry. Am I up against it? Yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, okay, we're good. All right, I am Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. You think about the economy with uh, bank failures and possible recession, inflation still here, market volatility. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises, where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio. It delivers a high fixed interest rate from Y-Refi, and Y-Refi here is local. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I have, and I can tell you, you will not get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign anything. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust them and like them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10 and a quarter percent rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. David, what's your button today? What's your pin on your, what's your lapel pin today? I've got a Gary Hart pin on. What year? I think this is 84. Okay. All right. The 88 ones wouldn't have been around very long. Oh, for about a month. I have one, though. <laughs> you do? One. Yeah, you definitely have. Um, Gary Hart 88. The Gary Hart 88 race. Well, 84 was what caused in the primaries Walter Mondale to use the Wendy's commercial, right? Where's the beef? Where's yep. the beef? And then 88, you know, Gary Hart was supposed to be this great Kennedy-esque candidate for the Democratic Party. He had the good looks and the hair and all that. He had been... Um, he had grown up under the McGovern wing, under the McGovern campaign. He was part of the famous McGovern uh, campaign of 1972. Campaign manager. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And um, he was the great hope. And then he, there were these rumors about affairs, and he actually gave a press conference where he invited the press to follow him. And some did. And... Uh, the thing about – you know, the rest is history. The thing about Gary Hart is he was so humorless, so humorless. You and I were watching a firing line debate he was part of post all that, right? Yeah. And everyone else had, you know, at least, at least a little bit of a winsome attitude or a winning attitude, a smile and a chuckle and a laugh. He had – he just not, – not a happy man. He was particularly partisan. Yeah, he was say. particularly partisan and particularly bitter, it seemed to me. Yeah. All right, I am Seth Leibson. We will be right back. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.